Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. You know, the other day I talked a little bit about Mike Trout and Joey Votto and how that there have been periods of this year where they succeeded sometimes more than half the times they came to the plate, and also they'll finish the season close to 500, you know, at least more than more than 400 in terms of success rate when coming to the plate. You come to the plate, did you make an out, did you get on base? You did? Okay. You, you didn't make an out, you got on base, that was a successful at-bat. And it spits in the face of the adage that even the greatest players fail 70% of the time. That's not 100% true. Now, is it? You can be a player and succeed many times. And that's an adage. That's something that is so ingrained in how we look at our teams and how we look at baseball, how we look at players. And it's something that we use to sort of cheer ourselves up and say, hey, 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 go, go out there. Even the best players fail 70% of the time. And that, you know, when you start to think about what success is, if success is judged on, hey, I didn't make an out, I did my job, then, for goodness sakes, then you have succeeded more than, you've had times when you're, you're failing only less than half the time. You're succeeding more often than not. I mean, Ted Williams... If someone, someone will come up and say, well, you know, even Ted Williams failed. Even Ted Williams did what? Do you realize that in uh, 1954, his first full year back from Korea, he played 117 games. That's 526 plate appearances. His on-base percentage that year was 513. 513. That's for the year. The year he finished succeeding more often than not. A year where he got, you know, he got his hits, he got his homers, and led the league in walks. That's one of the reasons why, I mean, yes, the war, but also that he walked all the time. He got on base and people poo-pooed that. He was succeeding. In 1957, Ted Williams had 547 plate appearances for the Boston Red Sox. Do you know what his on-base percentage that year was? 526. He was, but he came I in, mean, that year was ridiculous. I mean, people focus on the fact he batted 388. He slugged 731. He got on base more than half the times he came to the plate. Early in his prime in 1947, when he came back from the war, his, his on-base percentage was 497. The next year was 499. He won the Triple Crown that year. 
homers, RBIs, batting average. He got on base. He also led the league in walks. His on-base percentage was 499. And here's the ridiculous thing. He didn't win the MVP. Joe DiMaggio did. Because, oh, he had, uh, he had heart. He had this is the clipper. Stop it. So that adage, even the greatest players will fail 70% of the time, may not be right. That may not be an accurate statement. That may be something that we have said all these years without really stopping to think about whether or not it's true. Which brings me to something else. Good pitching beats good hitting. You're going to never have enough good pitching. And the team with the best pitching is the one that wins. Well, I stopped and thought about that a little bit. And the thing that made me think about it was the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians had a series of, of just awful, awful injuries that hit them. Most specifically, Carlos Carrasco and Danny Salazar, both who are having fine seasons. Maybe not Cy Young caliber seasons, but certainly fine years. And with Corey Kluber, who is having a Cy Young caliber season and is leading the league in WAB and is running away with it, he's going to get the highest WAB total of any American League pitcher. Having Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, and some combination of Bauer and Tomlin as your number four made the Indians look like they were going to be the team to beat in the American League, especially because the American League is really, there's a, there's a ton of parity in the American League. It's not a big, you know, there's no team taking it under their, their wing and running away with it. And with the loss of Salazar and the loss of Carrasco, presumably for the postseason, even though the Indians are going to win the American League Central, and may or may not, it depends on how they, they finish, and as my beloved Red Sox, where they finish, there's, they're going to host, the, they may have home field advantage in the division series. But there's this thought, this prevailing thought, that this wonderful season that Cleveland's having with some veteran players having big years, especially a resurgent power years for Mike Napoli, young players like Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Tyler Naquin all being big contributors, Jason Kipnis showing he's still a solid player, that there was a sense that despite this wonderful season and Terry Francona adding to his Hall of Fame resume as a manager, that losing Carrasco, losing Salazar will mean probably that will be the end of any pennant hopes that they have for the 2016 Indians. Because as we know, pitching wins pennants. But I really stopped to think about that. Does it? Does pitching win pennants? Or does pitching punch your card to the postseason? Lots of peas. Lots of peas in this podcast from your pal Paul Sullivan. And a lot of people say that my peas pop on the podcast. And do you know what? I poo-poo that and move on with the, what I'm talking about. I started thinking about some teams. Last year, 
the team that, you know, there was a ton of talent in last year's postseason, especially in the National League, where you had the three outstanding teams from the National League Central, plus the Dodgers and plus the Mets. No team had a better one-two punch than Kershaw and Grinky. Kershaw and Grinky were both, I mean, I would have voted for Grinky to win the Cy Young Award last year, although it's hard to argue with the outstanding year that Jake Arrieta had. But that being said, Kershaw is a superhuman pitcher. Grinky is a legitimate ace. And a staff that is headed up by those two pitchers won a grand total of one postseason series. Okay, Sully, maybe that's because they were top-heavy. And you saw that the Mets had tremendous pitching depth. Okay, fine. But I started thinking about some other things. Think about the Joe Torre years when Mike Messina arrived. Mike Messina is a pitcher who has a Hall of Fame, at least an interesting and compelling Hall of Fame argument. And he was inserted into the greatest dynasty that we've seen, certainly in the last 25 years, when he arrived in the Bronx. And every single year that Mike Messina played with the Yankees, some team beat the Yankees in the postseason. They never won at all with Messina. And it's final year they failed, they failed to make the postseason. But in those are years where they had Pettit, they had Clemens, they had Alduque, they had David Wells for some of those years, and Mucina, plus Rivera and the deepest bullpen in baseball. Remember, there were some years where, where, you know, they had, even after they broke up Stanton and Nelson and all of them, you know, Gordon pitched really well some years, Quantrill pitched well some years, Hammond pitched well. I mean, they had some wonderful pitchers on that team. And... They never won at all. There was always another team that found a way to beat them. And it wasn't always the team with the best pitching staff. The Angels did it a couple of times with, at least on paper, a far inferior pitching staff and without the pedigree of Hall of Famers left and right. Okay, that may sound strange. Then I started thinking about some other teams. I started thinking about the Cubs in 2003 with Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor and Zambrano and other, and other tremendous pitchers. Okay. All right. And then I thought about the Twins in 06 when they had Johan Santana and the deep bullpen and everything, and they got swept out of the postseason. All right. Maybe there was a one year here or there. What team, when you think about pitching depth, when you think about a team that is filled with aces. What team filled with aces is a better model than the Bobby Cox years with the Atlanta Braves? And they, they obviously they had Maddox for most of those years. They had Glavin and Smoltz, but they also remember they would have Avery. They would have Nagel. They would have Millwood. They would have Liebrandt. They would have players who pitched very well on that team and Merker and Wollers and other players who pitched well along the way. They were so deep, it was ridiculous. It was the gold standard. And yet, despite having a pitching staff that is almost superhuman, they won it all once, which means in 91, 92, 93, 
96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, and 2005, in every year I just rattled off, a team with an inferior pitching staff beat them. The Moneyball A's. All right, we'll talk about Moneyball. It wasn't because Chris Pratt playing Scott Hatterberg was taking walks, okay? It was because they had some players who were juiced up, and they also had Mulder, Zito, and Hudson, the best one-two-three punch in baseball in their prime. And that combination yielded a grand total of zero postseason series victories. They eventually got one post-Hudson and Mulder in 2006. One. And that was a team where the pitching staff was insane. I mean, I'm, there, I'm going through some of these examples. I can't think of a more stacked pitching staff recently than when the Philadelphia Phillies had Roy Halladay, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswalt, and Cliff Lee. And they, they never won with Roy Halladay, Hall of Fame pitcher, inserted into the staff. Remarkable, but they, they were always stopped. They were always stopped. The Astros in the 80s, the Giants in the 1960s. You know, they're teams that I keep we're looking at whose pitching staffs were incredibly deep and yet either couldn't win at all or won far fewer than you thought they were going to. And I started thinking about why. What does having the great pitching staff mean? It means over 162 games you're going to win more often than you don't. That means over 162 games, when you play a crap team, you're going to win those games. You're going to fatten up. That means when you have those deep pitching staff, your three and four starter are going to go up against a team where your, your four, number four starter would be their ace. So along the way, you're going to just cruise on in. The Braves cruised on in year in and year out because when you kept throwing great pitchers up there, two out of every three times, you're going to win. Isn't it strange that, like the two, like there was the Cardinals, the years they've won the World Series have been far from their best teams. They lose Adam Wainwright for all of 2011 and they win the World Series that year. That's insane. And they wound up beating that 2011 Phillies team. And I guess the thing I'm saying is, good pitching, yes, you can't go far without good pitching. But the great pitching staffs, like the ones I just rattled off, and many of them came and went without a title, sometimes you have to remember that those wins they pile up are not taking into account that you're going to be facing someone's good pitcher. The Braves would beat the snot out of some of the really terrible teams, 
But when they would come face to face with the Marlins in 1997, the Padres in 1998, Toronto, Philadelphia is a great example. Because the 1993, Phil, uh, 1993 Braves were so superior to the Phillies over 162 games. But in a short series, they could match up. Their good pitcher could match up to their good pitcher. One good outing from Schilling would suddenly neutralize a rotation that starts with Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz. That may sound counterintuitive, but that's what happened. So, people saying that the Cleveland Indians are facing doom and gloom because of the injuries to Salazar and Carrasco are not keeping in mind a simple fact. They have an ace in Kluber, and the great pitching got them in. And so now... The good pitching that they have that's left might be enough. Even if they go face-to-face with Chicago and their pitching staff of Arietta, Lester, Hendricks, Jason Hamill, John Lackey, incredible depth. Oh, my God, who can beat them? I don't know. Maybe the Indians. There's a precedent for it. I would have bet both of my children that the 2010 and 2011 Phillies would have won the pennant those years. When they acquired Halliday and plugged him into the staff that had gone to -to back-to-back trips to the World Series and then reacquired Cliff Lee along the way, there is not a soul on this earth who didn't think the Phillies were about to win at least one, maybe two more World Series and cement them as the greatest run of a Philadelphia team in baseball, at least since the days of Connie Mack. And nobody would be saying that come 2016, the Phillies still wouldn't have a pennant this decade. Well, of course they will. They're going to win a thousand of them. No, they're not. Pitching gets you into October. And then comes the matchups. One good pitcher can face another one's great pitcher, and that might be enough for one day. For that one day, matching up isn't about the greatness of a whole year. It's about that individual moment. And I don't think it's because players choked or they didn't have the will to win or any of that crap. I just think the difference between 162 And best of five could have plenty of players looking back going, how did we not win this? We had Mulder, Zito, and Hudson. The Twins had a bunch of schmoes in 2002. How did the Twins win that? Because on individual days, it lined up the way they want. So guess what, Cleveland fans? It's not over. You could still... Walk to the World Series. There is a precedent for it. There have been teams that have gone on to win it all. Look at the Angels pitching staff in that year, 2002, and look me in the eye and say that that starting pitching staff was a world champion starting pitching staff. But it was. Sometimes it happens that way. 
So there is still hope in Cleveland. Besides, as we all saw earlier this year, Cleveland is a city of champions. So yes, having Salazar and having Carrasco would be nice, but it doesn't mean it's over. But this podcast is, so check out my up-to-date listings of who owns baseball on MLBreports.com. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, and everywhere. The music is by Ted Factor and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Solid. <laughs> <laughs>